In one developing Asian country, not a single case of HIV was found among several thousand pregnant women tested. Yet in one African country, a whopping 40% of pregnant women were infected. How can either be true and why? You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor of obstetrics and gynecology at Northwestern University. Today our guest is Dr. Susan Q. Uven, professor of obstetrics and gynecology and medicine at Brown Medical School. She is also director of the Miriam Hospital's Immunology Center in Providence, Rhode Island, which provides comprehensive care to over a thousand women and men living with HIV AIDS. She is doing NIH-funded research on the prevalence and transmission of HIV during pregnancy. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Let's begin with some questions about the prevalence of HIV during pregnancy in the United States. What is the rate here? Well, let me start off by giving a global picture of HIV and then looking at it in the United States. I think that will put into context what HIV and AIDS is all about. There are about 40 million HIV-infected men and women in the world, and about 17.5 million of these are women. There are about 4.3 million new infections every year and 2.9 million deaths from HIV and AIDS. In the United States, we have about a million people infected, so 40 million for the rest of the world, 1 million for us. And we're talking about 17.5 million women infected in the rest of the world, and we're talking about 30% of the 1 million are women who are HIV infected in the United States. So in the whole world, there is a great proportion of women who are HIV infected. And I think that's how we should look at it in terms of women who are getting pregnant. We have about 7,000 HIV-infected pregnant women in the United States, and there are over 2 million HIV-infected pregnant women per year for the rest of the world. I have some questions about this. First of all, having listened carefully, it sounds to me like the ratio of men to women worldwide is different than the ratio of infected men and women in the United States. Is that correct? That is certainly correct, and it varies, too, from regions of the world. In certain areas in Africa, the women comprise more than 50% of the people, adults, who have HIV and AIDS. In the United States, we are ranging about 27 to 30%, depending on the geographic area that you're looking at. So, in Africa, it's almost a one-is-to-one -one ratio. In the United States, it's less than that. Does Europe follow the same pattern as the United States? The developed countries follow the same pattern, and in the developing world, it's a one-is-to-one -one pattern. The other thing that struck me is a million HIV-infected people in the United States, but only 7,000 pregnant women with HIV, although if I heard correctly, you said 2.7 million pregnant women worldwide. Is that correct? 17.5 million women who are HIV infected and over 2 million women get pregnant each year. Oh, I see. Of those women. Yes. So the United States also has a much lower rate of HIV infected women, or is, did I misunderstand it? Certainly less than in the developing world. Related to HIV, at least in the United States, how do IV drug use and prostitution play a role among the women in the United States who get infected? The majority of HIV infections now in the United States are through heterosexual transmission. At the early part of the epidemic, injection drug use was the main mode 
of infection in women, but this has shifted very much to a heterosexual transmission. Majority of the women will not know the risk factors because they don't know the risk factors of their partners. So if you ask them, have you ever injected drugs before? No. How did you get your HIV? The only risk factor I know is, you know, having sex with somebody whose risk factor I never knew who I didn't know had HIV. In our particular clinic, since 1996, we have had more new infections in women that are through sex rather than through intravenous drug use. Among the women who get infected by sex, I would like to make a distinction, if I can, between two groups one that received money for sex, and the other group, of course, that does not receive money for sex. Do the HIV statistics break down those two groups, or is there really no way of knowing? No, there's no way of knowing, but let me just tell you that in our clinic, you would be surprised at the number of women who have what we call traditionally would have low risk for getting HIV because they are not using sex for drugs or money, and the number of lifetime sexual partners, the median number of lifetime sexual partners that they have is three. So it's not like your population that you would think that are extremely high risk for HIV. And that's the problem. A lot of the new women, too, that are being diagnosed in our clinic is being diagnosed because of routine prenatal HIV testing, and they are extremely surprised. That's why the CDC now has a recommendation of HIV testing for almost everybody, adults less than 65 years old, because basing it on the traditional risk factors, we are going to miss a lot of people who have HIV infection. Going back to the CDC guidelines, I don't recall, how often uh, did the CDC recommend that HIV testing be done, or is it completely individualized? It's completely individualized in low-prevalence areas, but I think there's more a blanket recommendation now that everybody who gets, uh, you know, annual exams should include a discussion of HIV testing. In terms of pregnant women, all pregnant women should have HIV testing. It is voluntary, but many of the states are changing to what we call an opt-out testing, where HIV testing will become a routine part of the prenatal battery of tests, and the woman will be HIV tested unless she actively declines. It used to be that most testing was opt what we call an opt-in testing. You have a pre-test counseling. You have to sign a specific consent form to have HIV testing. This time, we're taking away the barrier. We're trying to make it you know, easier for providers and patients who are pregnant to have HIV testing by including it in the regular, you know, when you draw your blood, CBC, RPR, Hep B panel for routine prenatal care. And it's not a separate blood draw again. Well, I'd like to point out that we're testing for syphilis all the time. Why in God's name would we make a distinction about HIV? Because HIV has always a disease of exceptionalism at the beginning when we didn't understand HIV very well, there is still a lot of stigma against HIV. And it's still, you know, being associated with risky behaviors. You must be bad. You must deserve this. I hear that often a lot. And so there were a lot of protections legally and within the medical profession to try and protect our patients from losing confidentiality in terms of HIV. But 25 years into the epidemic, now we have very, very good therapy also, at that time, we didn't have very good therapy to offer our patients. It was a very fatal disease. 
25 years into the epidemic, we now understand the virus better. We still have no cure for the virus, but for somebody who is diagnosed early and given the proper care and medications, I think the prognosis for them is very, very good. So I think the paradigm of looking at HIV and not wanting to diagnose it has to change with our knowledge and with our access to antiretroviral therapy. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We are discussing the prevalence and access to care for pregnant women with HIV. Our guest is Dr. Susan Q. Uvin, a professor of obstetrics and gynecology and medicine at Brown University. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. Can you tell us a little bit about your research on the prevalence of HIV during pregnancy in other countries? I know that you've done uh, quite a bit of work on this. At the beginning, you mentioned that there's disparity in the prevalence of uh, HIV in antenatal clinics. One of the studies that we did is to look at 3,000 pregnant women in a what we call a charity hospital for the impoverished in the Philippines, at the Philippine General Hospital. And we did not find anybody who was HIV positive. Most people would know that the Philippines is a low prevalence country with only about less than 3,000 reported HIV AIDS cases per year. However, when we did the same in Cambodia, using cord blood as a surrogate status of the HIV status of the mother, the prevalence was about 5%. In India, it depends on where you go. The work that we did in Velour, India, was to test 6,000 pregnant women in the rural and in the urban areas. And the prevalence was about 1%, but we were surprised to find out that there was more HIV in the pregnant women in the rural area compared to the urban area, which we would have thought that people in the big cities with a lot more risk factors would have a lot more HIV. The other countries that you mentioned, I mean, we did not personally do the HIV testing, but as you said, it varies from region to region. 40% in Botswana, 28% in Zimbabwe, and about 15% in Kenya. So in India alone, it's a big, big country. As you know, there are a billion people in India, and depending on the region that you see, the prevalence of HIV in the antenatal population ranges from 1% to 3%. I would like to clarify something. What's the HIV positive rate among the U.S. antenatal population? Is there a statistic for that? Is it 1 in 10,000 or what is it? It's very low depending on the geographic area that you see. There is actually a map in the CDC that will tell you the prevalence per 10,000 pregnant women. And if you look at New York, if you look at Florida, if you look at some areas of Texas, you know, the prevalence is over 1%. But if you look in North Dakota, South Dakota, if you look in some areas of the Midwest, it's less than 1%. So there are some hotspots within the United States. I see. But in general, certainly the rates in the third world countries probably are 10 to 100 times higher in terms of prevalence. Every time I go developing country, I always marvel at how they are going to respond to this epidemic. In my clinic, I probably would see 28 to 30 pregnant HIV-infected women a year. If I had a 1,000 patients and it's 40%, that means 400 pregnant women who are HIV-infected. I don't know what infrastructure would be able to deal with this massively. 
So I can understand the difficulties in the developing countries. If we in the developed countries might even have a difficulty if we had such a staggering epidemic. Why do the Philippines have such a bizarrely low rate across the country, not just for pregnant women, but for everybody? I think we have tried to look at it, and there are several theories. I think one of the biggest ones that's being touted now is because the new studies about circumcision and decreased rates of HIV infection when a man is circumcised, the majority of the male Filipino population is circumcised. I want to thank Dr. Susan Q. Uvin, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the prevalence and access to care for pregnant women with HIV. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We would really like to hear from you. For comments and questions about this program or suggestions for other shows, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Be safe. Be informed. Thank you for listening.